0: Hello and welcome to the Tech Diplomacy podcast, brought to you from the Norwegian Consulate General in San Francisco. I am Gry Rabe Henriksen, the Consul General of Norway. Technology has always played a role in human life, yet over the past decade we have seen this role explode to a degree we can barely comprehend. As tech companies grow in scale, reach and wealth, governments have begun focusing efforts on bringing these new players into the diplomatic discussion. In this podcast, we invite diplomats, researchers, civil society and tech companies to talk about anything and everything in, at the intersection between new and emerging technologies, regulations and its implications. Join us as we explore tech diplomacy.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Tech Diplomacy podcast. I'm Cecilia Hurslet, and I'm the advisor at the Norwegian Consulate in San Francisco, I'm your host today, together with the Norwegian Consul General, Rabe Behenriksen. Our guest today is Amy Larsen, Director of Strategy of the Microsoft Democracy Forward Team. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much. It's great to be with you.
0: So happy to have you as our podcast, podcast guest today, Amy. You have an impressive background uh, laying out a journey that has taken you from Yale to New York University to Harvard, and including the US mission to the EU, Congress, and the White House, as well as law, uh, law practice and now Microsoft. What motivated you to choose the path of tech and democracy?
2: Thank you. That's a great question. And uh, first, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be with you and um, to get to visit your beautiful office in San Francisco. Um, It's been a really wonderful and exciting journey. I think there are a lot of really difficult challenges that I've seen. And that I'm really excited to continue to try to um, play a positive role in combating. Um, And I think I was really trying to figure out where a good um, position to work on various issues impacting democracy and human rights and security would be. So um, I didn't have anyone in my family actually working in, um, in government or in politics or in, um, in business or technology so, or law. Um, so a bit of the time it was an exploration to find um, what felt like a really good place. Um, I really wanted to understand different perspectives from the public sector to the tools available within the practice of law and public policy. And I think those exposed me to a range of different issues and ways of combating um, the most pressing problems that we have today. Um, And finally, arriving at Microsoft, um, where I am director of strategy of the Democracy Forward team, um, has really enabled me to combine a lot of the different perspectives and um, skills that I've gained over the course of this journey so far to apply to some of the most pressing issues at the intersection of technology
1: and democracy. That's very impressive to hear. And uh, it seems like Microsoft has sort of acknowledged that the technologies also have some downsides, which is important to protect the people and the society from. And you are in the middle of this. It's fantastic. So let's start with the ongoing war in Europe. The first attack in the war in Ukraine was not physical, it was digital. You mobilized resources to help the country and its people. Please share more about this.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I think it came as a huge surprise uh, to many in Europe and around the world. Um, Another land war in Europe was um, something that was very difficult to foresee. Um, One of the interesting uh, additional layers and challenges of this war, of course, has been the hybrid nature of the war. Not only is there a kinetic attack, um, but also the disinformation and cyber uh, hybrid attacks mounted by Russia against Ukraine. And so the first shots fired in the Ukraine war were actually on February 23rd, and they were cyber shots, uh, cyber attacks uh, that we saw from Redmond, Washington and our Microsoft headquarters headquarters the day before the tanks rolled across uh, Ukraine's border. Um, So from that point on, we became engaged quickly to, um, we put 16 out of 17 government ministries into the cloud uh, for free and very quickly um, because the Ukrainian government asked us to do that. Um, And we also um, made sure to um, continue to map both the uh, cyber landscape and the disinformation attacks uh, that were being um, interwoven into the fabric of the attack landscape. Um, throughout the course of the, the war, we've um, increased our response and expanded what we've tried to do um, so we've made sure that we're using our artificial intelligence to map the destruction of historical sites, um, and schools and hospitals, and sharing that data with the International Criminal Court and Amal Clooney and the United Nations, uh, to make sure that we're able to hold, uh, Russia accountable for what it's doing in Ukraine. Um, and then of course the response has expanded beyond, um, the initial response also to include humanitarian assistance, um, refugee assistance through um, LinkedIn retraining grants and uh, Skype minutes. We provided 43 million Skype minutes to make sure that people could call into Ukraine and connect with their family and friends, Um, and even making Xbox available to uh, the Ukrainian army in Ukrainian. Um, So it's been a robust response that has really continued and and morphed over time um, and underpinned by, you know, this um, understanding that... Digital transformation is impacting every sector, um, from education to medicine to to war. Um, And so we really wanted to be uh, a key part of how to respond in kind and protect Ukraine.
1: This is fascinating to hear. Tell us more about your company-wide integrity principles.
2: Yeah, I think that really came about uh, our information integrity principles uh, came about in response to the war in Ukraine and thinking about how, especially from the perspective of um, the information environment, how we could set principles um, to guide internal product teams and um, and services to ensure that we weren't um, making the situation worse from the information environment perspective. What additional could we do? Um, And so we wanted to um, make sure that we did not, uh, we made commitments to make sure we didn't profit from disinformation. We wanted to downrate, downrank disreputable content, um, uprank authoritative, authoritative content um, and meanwhile making sure to protect users' freedom of speech uh, and expression with regards to content. So it's a, a tricky balance to walk but I think a really important one.
0: Um, talking about war and conflict, um, over several years now we have seen examples of how technology can used, uh, is used in humanitarian crises in a way that can be life-saving. But on the other hand, technology in war zones can also be risky uh, with potential adverse consequences. Could you please share your perspectives on this?
2: yeah I think that's absolutely right. And you know, with all new technologies, I think that allows for both the best and the worst of human nature to um, find additional forms of expression. um and so in in conflict, you know, as we've talked about, um I think, We've really tried to make sure that we are defending key infrastructure, um, making sure that we're defending key um, accounts and protections for um, those on the front lines. Um, and in addition to that, thinking more systemically as, as well, um, you know, uh, one of the ways that we've engaged with uh, with the war in Ukraine, but more broadly as well, is by being part of the um, Uh, The C2PA, the Coalition for Content, Provenance, and Authenticity. It's a mouthful, but it's an important set of uh, standards. And um, C2PA addresses this growing risk of the malicious use of AI um, to create manipulated media. And it does that through developing um, technical standards that certify the source and history, um, which we call the provenance, of media content. So one of the um, partnerships that we've uh, pioneered recently is with uh, a really great partner, TruPic, and we've developed and piloted Project Providence. um, That's the world's first interoperable system using an authenticating camera SDK of TruePix um, and connecting that with the Azure cloud in Microsoft. Um, And that maintains the provenance of an image captured from storage and the point of capture of that image um, to displaying it later. And what that does is, um, in this case, we've applied it to um, map the destruction of uh, cultural heritage sites in Ukraine, and it keeps them safe and secure. And and so this technology actually allows you to know for sure that an image is true and unaltered, which in the era of, um, you know, whether it's war or just your regular um, sort of searching for information and images and wondering, you know, what can I trust? Um, This is a way to increase trust among people. (music)
0: Moving
1: on to the big talk in San Francisco, Artificial Intelligence. This is not a hype, it's really happening, and it's happening now and fast. AI may transform our society. Your CEO of Satya Nadella calls this a generational shift and a platform shift, and say it's the biggest thing in Microsoft since cloud seven, eight years ago. Lately, we have seen a race between the tech giants Microsoft and Google. We have noticed that Microsoft has invested billions in OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, and you are now incorporating this into Bing. And this is going impressingly well, as we see from the recent financial reporting. Please share your perspective on this new AI wave of technology.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I think that um, ethical considerations have always been a part of the way we've thought about AI and the development of this set of technologies. So, um, within Microsoft, we've been uh, we've had teams working on the development of responsible artificial intelligence principles for over seven years, um, and it's gone through many iterations and really uh, cut across the company in terms of application to uh, engineering teams and product teams and policy teams as well, to make sure we've thought very deeply and broadly about building ethical responsibility into AI. Um, And so we have a a set of principles um, that we really believe are essential to the continuation of building our AI technology, which are um, that AI is built and used responsibly and ethically, um, that it advances international competitiveness and national security, and that it really serves broadly rather than narrowly. So, you know, as, as we've talked about, um, ag- the new technologies hold the promise and the peril depending on their users and the uses to which they're put. Um, we've really tried to roll out, um, you know, chat GPT's integration um, methodically and in sandboxes and and making sure that we're incorporating feedback from what we learn into the next version so that when we eventually release um, AI through various products, it's as um, as robust and responsible
1: as it can be. How interesting. So we see that the development of AI is fast-tracking. So when does ethical consideration or safety concerns need to be taken into account in, the, in the, the development?
2: Yeah, always. I mean, I think always Um Anyone who's who's building a new uh, car or uh, any any technology that, when it's unleashed into into the wild, um, has the potential to be used against um, uh, against the rights of people needs to really think about um, how they're how they're building and how they're releasing these products. So I think we feel a profound sense of responsibility. Um, It doesn't mean we're going to get it right at every stage, and we haven't, but um, we've been really trying to incorporate um, learnings from when we roll things out and some things don't go so well, and then we feed that in and try to fix it um, as as quickly as we can, which so far I think we have. So we'll continue on that journey.
0: Mm. Uh, Norway uh, actually launched its AI strategy uh, back in January 2020. But since then, the development of AI has been Um, mind-blowing. With such a rapidly moving target, it's crucial that we keep up with these developments also from the the government side um, to make sure that we meet these developments with the right policies. So any advice uh, from your side on how governments should keep the pace with tech development, such as what we're seeing now in AI?
2: I think keeping the conversation going um, with companies is a really uh, useful step. And, um, you know, also making sure that we are all, um, much like cybersecurity and the disinformation um, landscape, uh, I think the promises and perils of AI require uh, a multi stakeholder approach to um, protecting and informing citizens. And everyone has a distinct role to play, but they're all important. Um, so, you know, I think at Microsoft, we think about how we can create the best su- uh, demand side infrastructure to um, help. Uh, educate citizens and and consumers who are using our tools and products. We have a lot of digital literacy and uh, media literacy tools, like Spot the Deepfake, and uh, that we've developed with the University of Washington and a variety of other trainings and and tools to assist people as they get up to speed with this new information environment. So I think, um, in addition to 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 that um, conversation on being ongoing, I think continuing to empower you know, citizens of our countries um, to really understand that they have a crucial role in helping to provide those tools. Maybe it's helping to um, support education efforts for, for kids, and, but older people as well are at risk of being manipulated. So um, I think really uh, providing resources and um, information to people about the best um, ways to get up to speed, ways to benefit from these technologies, and ways to protect themselves.
0: Yeah. Just as a follow-up to that, can I ask you um, how do you find that governments are doing in this dialogue with with uh, big tech companies? Are we um, sort of do we understand each other? Do you find it interesting to talk to governments and sort of um, how can we do better?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think. Um, the very fact of your existence and the existence of so many um, European tech ambassadors now in Silicon Valley really speaks to the priority that um, governments, uh, forward-looking governments are, are placing on understanding what's happening in tech companies. And um, I think if we um, understand that we all have different perspectives, but they're all aligned in many ways Um and Reliant, I think this brings us back to the topic of democracy, right? Well, like, Why does democracy matter so much to Microsoft, and, and why should it matter to companies more generally? Um, it's, you know, it's both from a positive altruistic perspective, but also, of course, there's a, a bottom line. Um, fortunately, the incentives are aligned because um, businesses thrive in democracies. You know, Microsoft um, gets about 97% of its revenue from business it does in democracies, so democracy is really good for business it provides the stable economic and legal infrastructure um, and and so we want to also be good for democracy too and so i think we all have um evolved in our understanding of the different issues that are part of these conversations uh it's it's never a finished you know product but i think the the mechanisms for dialogue that we've developed now are a
1: lot more robust thank you It seems to me that the cooperation between the private sector and the governments is a win-win it's my impression that private companies more and more realize that global governance is needed in this area and other areas so i want to touch upon the digital inclusion and the need for capacity building in countries as they get access to technology we now see that more people have telephones than water And to get equal access to technology is crucial for the development of a country. However, to learn how to use the technology and building the right infrastructure to maintain digital safety is also important. In your view, what is the private sector's role in this? Yeah, that's a wonderful
2: and really important question. And there are still 2.9 billion people who do not yet have access to the Internet. So that's an important framing piece as well. Um, so one of our teams, uh, a sister team uh, next to Democracy Forward, works on increasing the connectivity of underconnected um, communities around the world. So uh, that's our Airband team, and um, so there's an ongoing effort to really um, bolster the connectivity of those populations. But in addition to to, to that, those communities that are already protected, I think. This is where you know some of our, um, our work on the cybersecurity front really comes into play. Um, we have a program called Account Guard. That's a threat detection and notification service. And we provide that at no additional cost to institutions that underpin democracy um, and individuals as well, such as political parties and campaigns, journalists and nonprofits. Um, we make that available in 33 countries and that protects over 5 million inboxes um, we also think it's our responsibility to help provide um, trainings and digital safety tools. So uh, Ubico. We have a partnership with them that has um, donated tens of thousands of security keys globally, especially to journalists and organizations that are supporting those people at risk. Um, And we also think about the, um, especially in relation to journalism, that's uh, one of the core pillars of the Democracy Forward team, um, because we believe that that um, institution and industry is crucial to a healthy information ecosystem. So we have a lot of um, legal and physical and digital threat uh, services and products that we offer to that community. Um, so I think it's a, it's a broad suite of offerings that we try to make available, um, depending on you know
1: uh, the, the institution or uh, community that we're talking about. This is really fascinating. And this leads me nicely to the next question. Uh, I understand you participated at the annual RSA conference in San Francisco on cybersecurity recently. How are you working on cybersecurity in Microsoft?
2: Yeah, it's been a really exciting um, uh, week here and. Um You know, I think we um, are really excited to see the different energy and um, ideas surrounding uh, cybersecurity developments. Of of course, um, you know, our Mystic and Dart teams are um, some of the most um, resilient and uh, crucial teams within uh, Microsoft that are really protecting large and small accounts. So um, cybersecurity is absolutely essential to the foundation of our business, to the trust that um, we would like users and customers and partners to have in our business and our technology. So I mean, it's it's absolutely foundational for us because if there's not trust in the digital technology you're using to um, send emails and log on to your accounts and whatever it is that you're doing, um, then, then we are not standing on a strong leg. So this is an absolutely essential component of our business.
1: Interesting. What is the link between cybersecurity and human rights?
2: Yeah, I think that for for companies, nations, individuals, and institutions, protecting data and accounts in the digital age is a crucial component of protecting human rights in this day and age. Um, you know, so I think the link between human rights and cybersecurity is inextricable, and that will only continue. Um, so we really have made prioritization of um, making sure that, you know, the accounts of human rights defenders and campaigns and uh, journalists are protected um, from the cyber perspective. Um, We're expanding, continuing to expand our our trainings that are available, um, especially fine-tuned to to women journalists and others who are under particular threat um, from online harassment and um, disinformation. And we're really kind of continuing to keep, keep a keen eye on the threat landscape and what we can do to ameliorate
1: it. How can we find the right balance between freedom of expression on one hand, on the internet, and protecting people from misinformation and disinformation on the other hand?
2: Yeah, I think this is another example of how uh, these issues are really a team sport. And you know, one of the things that we try to do from the supply side at Microsoft is provide a lot of information and tools for users. So one example is um, we put uh, we allow users to download a nu- basically a nutrition label that they can put on uh, onto their news sources that they're reviewing and analyzing. So what that does, and and it. Uh, depends on a variety of third-party, nonpartisan, nonprofit organizations that assess how to what degree content has been adhering to accepted journalistic principles. So we're relying on a number of different partners to say, okay, uh, this piece of content is, you know, red-rated, it's not very good. Um, And then people will know that because there's a little symbol on it. Uh, And then if you keep scrolling, okay, this piece of information has a a green label and uh, ranks very high because you can see the author, you know where the funding is coming from, uh, things like that. So um, we are trusting users to uh, understand that they're playing a role um, and that their choices are really important for both their own consumption of information and the role they play in society more broadly. So I think we don't want to tell people what to do, um, but we
1: want to help inform the choices they're making. That's fascinating. The U.S. elections will come up next year. How is Microsoft ramping up for the campaign and elections? Yeah, that's a great question.
2: Um, it's amazing because n- not only are the U.S. elections uh, coming up next year, but um, between now and the end of 2024, over 2 billion people around the world will uh, will have the chance to vote in, in democratic countries. So uh, there's a broad range of, of opportunity and um opportunity for expression of our democratic values. Um, So from the hard security um, that we provide to, you know, state and local election officials and their accounts as well, um, there's also the the bigger picture issues relating to um, voter registration and voter information. We want to help Um, surface the authoritative information from state and local election officials around the country, make sure those are uh, able to be found in search. Um, And we've also devised these exciting ways of using some of our technologies like Um, in the 2022 midterm elections, we used um, being an Xbox to register 50,000 voters to vote. So that's very exciting. Um, We partnered with LinkedIn uh, to create these ads to recruit poll workers. Um, We've recruited over 800 poll workers. Um, So I think we'll continue to do those kinds of um, efforts and and hopefully scale those up. Um, It's a really exciting time. And and we hope that um, all those who are playing a role um, can help rise
1: to the occasion um, and participate fully in the democratic process that's fascinating before we round off today I want to ask you one thing Amy what is your future dream for democracy and technology oh that's such a wonderful last question Um, yeah I think we
2: will continue to see that society um, continues to be interdependent on um, technology even more and in ways we can't yet anticipate Um, So my dream is that um, we are able to help play a positive role in allowing technologies to bring out the best in people and institutions. Um, That when we look back, Microsoft will firmly be on the side of supporting fundamental rights through our technologies. Um, That we played a role in combating those who wanted to do harm against individuals and institutions. Um, And that we really did our best to put out products that were helpful and promoted the greater good at a moment when democracy really depended on that.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about democracy and technology.
0: Thank thank you. you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much.